Hello, friends. Good morning. Welcome to the Story Church. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, if it's your first time or your 101st time, just really thrilled to see you. Thanks for making the time this morning. I hope that this time of both worship and the teaching and really the community we're building here is an encouragement to you. I know the world can be a pretty discouraging place sometimes, so if you're looking for a place to put down some roots and and really make relationships, build relationships that, that really are meaningful and lasting. And, and I, I just hope you know there's a place for you here. I'm Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. But um, really, this whole community is here to support you and pray for you and love you through the, the struggles and challenges of life that you might be up against. And if you're looking for a church today, I hope you'll uh, consider the story. Hey, I want to say hi to everybody joining us online as well and over at our Timber Grove campus uh, over with Pastor Kale and company at 8200 Washington Avenue. We love you guys and thanks for, uh, for tuning into this message this morning. All right, it's been a big week. It's been a big week at the story. We had VBS all week, so if you see our children's volunteers um, as if uh, they could have pulled their hair out all week. You, probably that explains it. Um, thank you to all of our volunteers and staff that made VBS happen. We had the release of, our, uh, of the Maybe God podcast, first ever documentary film called Across. I hope you checked it out at acrossdocumentary.com. And it was a, a huge uh, moment for us as a community. If you're new to the story, Maybe God is our sort of in-house podcast that's an outreach to skeptics and folks that have a bunch of doubts about religion and stuff. And, you know, we understand. I've been there. So, so we kind of want to meet folks where they are, and Maybe God, uh, the Maybe God podcast is a great way to, to do that. Uh, along those lines, I want to share one more little, like, heads up, all right, about what's happening for the rest of the summer. Today, we're going to finish up a series of messages. I'll get into that in a second. But July the 9th, we're starting this new season of seven weeks of uh, what we're calling the Summer of Love at the Story Church, and uh, it's going to be as fun as it sounds, I, heard, I hope. The, story, the Summer of Love is a seven-week message series about um, dating in the modern dating scene, and what a cesspool that can be um, for uh, especially Christians that are trying to find the one on the dating scene today. Also, romance and sex and marriage and things like that we're going to be talking about for seven weeks, as if that weren't awkward enough. We also added a little wrinkle called Operation Matchmaker, all right? So what we're trying to do is come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ who are, for whatever reasons, struggling on the dating scene. And some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are single have just given up on it altogether, which is really hard to watch when it comes to people that we love. You know, most folks, I'd say 90-something percent of single folks want to find the one and be married someday. And and so the, the dating scene as it stands is not a very hospitable place um, for folks looking for that seriously. So what we want to do as a church is come alongside them, offer some uh, mingling sort of uh, events for Houston Christian singles. And all three of those things are important to remember. To be a part of these, you must live in the Houston area. Um, you must be a Christian. And by all means, you must be single. All right, so you can't show up to these unless you're single, all right? Just want to make it abundantly clear, okay? And so um, we're not just hosting these events. For everyone who applies, and we've had an incredible numbers of people applying for this. Really, it kind of blew me away. I didn't know what to expect. Um, for everyone who applies, you're also going to be considered as potentially sort of candidates to be match made. We're going to do some matchmaking and send some couples on dates, that we deem to be sort of maybe compatible or looking for the same things. And, and, and so 
It's about to get real interesting up here is what I'm trying to say. And if you're looking for the crazy guy who agreed to do this and who will be doing the matchmaking, well, you're looking at him. All right, so I'm going to be doing, I claim all responsibility, all liability. All right, if anybody wants to send me the name of a good lawyer, I might could use that uh, for as we write up the waivers and things like that. But it's going to be a great summer. The reason I'm bringing it up again is because we extended the deadline because we had singles who were sort of dragging their feet and not real sure about this whole thing. I promise we're gonna protect everyone's dignity involved. We're not gonna be telling stories that aren't ours to tell or anything like that. Um, we, we wanna do what's best for you as, uh, as you are on the dating scene, if that is, if that is you. So I, we have extended the, the deadline. You can go to maybegodpod.com slash matchmaking and get your name in the hat there. It's a pretty quick questionnaire. I would especially encourage you gentlemen who are here today, single, Christian, Houston, gentlemen, uh, to, uh, to consider applying. The, the ratio is leaning female, I will say, pretty heavily, so we don't want that. But I will say, gentlemen, if you've ever wanted the odds to be in your favor, this is your moment, all right? <laughs> so don't let it pass, okay? We've got applicants from 21, I think, all the way to their 70s, so all ages, and um, we'll try to match folks that are similar ages. <laughs> and anyway, I'm going to get real awkward quick, but let's move on. All right, so be sure to check out. And if you have single friends or family that you want them to be a part of this, send them the link, maybegodpod.com slash matchmaking. This goes for those of you who are watching online and over at the Timber Grove campus as well. It's going to be a great summer of love at the Story Church. All right, so let's, let's kind of get into our, our message today. This is... Um, this is sort of the, the final lap in our, in our series that we've been on for the, all month, really. It's called Know Your Enemy. This is a, a four-week message series that's all about this, this figure, this uh, enemy that the Bible calls an adversary, a liar, a father of lies, um, and of course, Satan, or, or really, Satan is not even a proper noun in the Bible. It's the Satan, um, which just means the deceiver. You know, that's what he does. That's who he is. So we've been talking about him all month long, and we're wrapping this up today, and I know it's a little bit of a strange subject to spend four sermons on. I'm aware. I mean, you expect to come to church and hear more about God than the other guy. You know, it's like we're here to talk about heaven, not so much hell, but the reason we're spending a little time on this subject is because I think we who are Christians and those who are non-Christians most often, all of us most often, um, ignore um, the, the devil and his demons and his darkness to our own detriment, potentially to our own demise if we're not careful, because the Bible takes this enemy of ours very seriously. Jesus takes this enemy very seriously, and so we probably should as well. So what are the images or thoughts or, or visions you've been taught to, to conceive of when it comes to this enemy? Like, just think about in your own mind. I was trying to before we wrap the series, I just kind of want to clearly communicate sort of the images of Satan I was raised with and how they compare and contrast with who Satan really is. So my, one of my earliest memories of sort of Satanism comes from a movie that I watched way too early in life. I should never have been allowed to watch this movie, but I think it was like the summertime. I had two working parents, and so it was a free-for-all in my house from like 8 a.m. or whenever I got up until they got home from work. And so I watched this movie when I was like eight years old. It was called Dragnet. And this was like 1988, 1989. It was a, a cop sort of film, a comedy with Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, and they were undercover cops. And in one of the scenes, 
in this movie, they go undercover at a, a pagan rally, all right? So all these terms are twisted up in this scene to not really mean anything because pagans aren't always Satanists and Satanists aren't always pagans, but it's not really the point. Um, in, the, in the movie, accuracy is not the goal, comedy is, but as an eight-year-old, I didn't know the difference, really. And so they go to this Satanism sort of rally <laughs> to find the criminals, and they're surrounded by guys doing drugs and, and passing pills around and dressing up like goats with animal heads on and, and uh, doing these weird dances and, and sort of going crazy together. They, they have uh, animals that they're sacrificing. They have a bat, I remember, like a, not a, not a base, like a bat. And uh, then they, they actually sacrificed a virgin, like a virgin woman. In a, in a white dress, they brought her out and they threw her into a pit with a boa constrictor in it. Has anyone ever seen this movie? I know it's a very old movie, all right? If you're under 40, you're like, this guy's old. All right, so trust me, it was, it was pretty fantastic. And I use that word to emphasize the fantasy part. Like it was, it was almost clearly like make-believe. And that was kind of what I conceived of when it came to Satan for a long time. I thought of him as remotely dangerous, but not really present in my life. I thought of him kind of like a cartoonish figure in red spandex who, if I don't go to church, he, he might be bad for me, but as long as I go to church, I'll be all right, and that kind of thing. But what happened was, when I grew up, I got to be 20 or so, I renounced my faith. Many of you know that story. I was sort of radicalized by sort of secular leftist uh, professors, and I renounced my faith. But not only did I renounce my supernatural faith in Christ, I also renounced my supernatural beliefs about Satan. So I let that go to thinking, well, if he's not real, at least not how the Bible says, then he's not real either. And so why worry? And then for the next 13 years of my life, as I spent my life spiritually wandering and really becoming my own God, and what I mean is I was the governor of my life. I decided what was right and wrong. I decided which appetites needed satiating, which didn't. That, that was me. I was God. And that's what really the Bible says Satan wants. He doesn't want to be our God. He wants us to be our God. And, and so that's what became of me for the next 13 years. Interestingly enough, I can look back and see clearly how it was when I stopped believing in him that he did his work on me. And he really did. I mean, he had me in the palm of his hand before I came to real faith and salvation in Christ. It was something about those sort of fantastic images of Satan that almost set me up to fail in this whole deal, in this whole battle that the Bible says we're in. Well, it's been really interesting. You can sort of imagine my surprise as I've come back to faith in Christ and kind of become more aware of who Satan really is on a day-to-day -day basis. It's been really interesting to see um, sort of a resurgence in the same form of fantastic Satanism that I saw in the movie Dragnet growing up, but in the real world. Maybe you don't watch the same Twitter feeds that I do. Maybe you're not dialed into this world as much, but you're a pastor. People send you links all the time to all kinds of crazy things. And a couple months ago, people were sending me links to this annual conference of American Satanists that had descended upon the city of Boston over 800 Satanists gathered together to worship the devil. And what was interesting to me was how similar this conference called SatanCon looked 
to the scene from Dragnet. I mean, Dragnet was in a forest, and this was in a hotel lobby, I think. But other than that, it was very, very similar. And you had like a, a dark priestess who was tearing pages out of the Bible and saying they were the Bible is a symbol of oppression. You had another priestess doing sort of reverse communion in a way with an upside down cross in the bottom left. You had guys dressed up like weird looking goats and, and all sorts of other kinds of of colors and outfits and, and doing these sort of seemingly ridiculous things all in the name of Satan. And this sort of thing seems to be really picking up steam, maybe not as much in Houston, Texas as in other parts of the country, but you might be surprised. With all that being said, I still believe, as I said in the first week that I preached in this series, I still believe that we should be more concerned about people who look at Satan and feel nothing than we should be about people who look at Satan and worship him and fly to Boston to put on a goat mask and be with him. So I feel, I feel far less concerned about those folks than I do feel about people like most of us who think about Satan hardly at all because... Um, I'm concerned that we might not be prepared for the one we're up against. I've played sports, you know, when I was younger, and I just remember preparing for certain games against certain opponents, and you studied the opponent, and you knew their strengths and weaknesses, and you prepared accordingly. What do we do when we're up against an opponent we haven't studied for or even taken seriously? It kind of goes back to, it's not just biblical, it's like common sense. Like 2,500 years ago, this Chinese military commander named Sun Tzu wrote sort of the seminal work about military strategy. Um, uh, it was a military treatise called The Art of War. And in it, he wrote this about the importance of knowing your enemy. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So, this series is intended to get us better acquainted with the enemy that we're up against. And I'm so grateful for all of your questions that you've sent in. I hope to tackle some of those um, today. There truly is something at stake, all right? So who is Satan and why does he matter to us today? This is uh, the question, one of the questions before us. As we've said repeatedly in the series, Satan is described in the Bible as a militant enemy. And what that means is he is intent on uh, attacking us. That's what the Bible implies. And whether you believe that or not or know it or not, I'm, I'm, I tend to believe it's true. And, and sometimes not acknowledging it is, is the enemy's best tactic against us. Jesus said that this enemy of ours comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So if you're looking for real signs of satanic influence in our culture, you don't really have to look to the movies like Dragnet or The Exorcism of whoever it is this year or whatever movies you might see about Satan. You don't even have to watch those sort of fantastic tales. You don't have to go to things like SatanCon. Just look for signs of deception in the real world. Look for signs of destruction of precious things. 
godly things, virtuous things. Look for signs of death where there should be life. And you'll be hot on the trail of your spiritual enemy. Look, for example, for uh, the exploitation of children's innocence. As it presents itself in many forms in our culture today, look for activists and influencers and so-called educators that are, that are hell-bent on corrupting or perverting children's worldviews in ways that they're not qualified or licensed or privileged to do. They do it anyway. Look for ways that the world, as we know it, talks to teenagers and convinces so many of them in the midst of their adolescent angst to make lifelong identity decisions based on how they feel on any given day about their bodies or their sexuality or their gender or anything else you want to put in that blank. Look for signs of purity being despised. Look for virginity becoming a joke in our culture. Look for all seven deadly sins being openly celebrated unabashedly. Look for pride in the streets. Look for greed in the marketplaces. Look for lust in the heart and you will find it. And if we really want to know where the enemy is at work, most of us don't even have to look outside of our own homes or the reflection in our own mirror because in some ways or another, probably, he's still having his way with you in some daily battle that you're losing. If so, you're not alone. I know we don't talk about that stuff because we're supposed to all have it together at church, but no one does. So I just want you to know there's, there's hope and there's strength in numbers as long as we're being honest with ourselves and with God. This sort of thing is exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to as, isolate ourselves, as we talked about last week. Just look at how isolated we are from one another. The most connected the world has ever been by technology. We are more divided and lonely than we've ever been. Think about the divisions that exist politically or socioeconomically or racially in our society today. This is the devil's work. So if you doubt whether or not he's at work, then how do you explain the ongoing advancement of evil that's tearing people apart? In my interview with um, Father Vincent Lampert that I shared a clip on uh, from last week, um, it's an hour and a half long interview, by the way, and I, I hope that you've been able to watch it on YouTube. It's through the Maybe God podcast um, channel. But uh, this is, if you, if you don't recall, this is the um, chief exorcist for the Indianapolis uh, diocese or something, and he's like the spokesman worldwide for all things exorcism in the Catholic Church today. He's actually a brilliant man, and I wish I could speak with his uh, clarity. But Father Lampert, uh, when I asked him, he said, it should really come as no surprise how and why the enemy is making such inroads in our culture today. He said it has to do with apostasy, which means we have a culture that is largely built on Christian ideals and Christian beliefs, and most people in our culture have accessed or come to know those truths, but many have chosen to walk away, and there's a certain kind of spiritual opening that exists when we know the truth and walk away from it. So this is just sort of a cautionary tale that Father uh, Lampert shares with us. Here's the clip from the Maybe God podcast. 
You know, as Christians, I always say, if you're going to church, if you're praying, you're reading the Bible, the devil's already on the run. We don't have to do anything extraordinary to defeat the devil. It's the very ordinary aspects of our Christian faith. But there's a lot of people today, you know, Christianity built the Western civilization, but there's a lot of people living in the West who've now turned their backs on God. They may have grown up in traditional Christian homes. Maybe they've been baptized. But these are the very people we encounter now who say they no longer believe in God. They're an atheist. They're spiritual. They don't need to go to church. You know, they can find God in nature and all of these things. But again, when people turn their backs on God, they've known the truth. It does seem that demons have a greater claim on the lives of these people. Because again, they knew the truth of their faith, and yet they chose to walk away from it. Are you saying that people in the West in particular are, are, are especially susceptible to demonic attack or activity now? Yes, I would say people in the apostate world. So apostates are people who, who embrace the faith but then walk away. In my experience in the 17 years I've done this ministry, demons do seem to have a greater hold on people who have apostatized, who have walked away from their faith. And I think the reason is because they knew the truth, but they chose to say, no, thank you. All right. So that's sort of a, a warning, I think, for all of us um, to especially help us to see the dangers of walking away from faith. And this is something everyone's tempted to do from time to time. It's walking away from the faith we've known when things get hard, when prayers go unanswered, as best we can tell. But the question that's really raised for me is like, Dang, the numbers don't look good these days. In terms of the numbers of people turning to Christ versus turning away from him, it can really feel like hopeless and, and desperate in a way. Like, what are we supposed to do when it feels like we're fighting an unwinnable war in terms of the, bringing more people to faith in Christ and helping people to see that this stuff is true? What is our tact going to be? What's our tactic, our strategy against this enemy who is just torching us with, with his fire, right? How do you fight against that kind of an enemy? Well, there's this, there's this really beautiful passage that is, is, stands out in the New Testament, but I'm afraid most of us stopped reading it after middle school, and that's because we were so inundated with it every summer at VBS. It's like every VBS teacher's favorite passage because it's so easy to illustrate. And you're going to like build each part of it. And then you wear the breastplate and you wear the helmet and you wear the, and you, you get the belt and the shoes and it's just going to be so much fun. And then you grow up and you're like, well, that part of the Bible is for kids. It's kitschy. It's cheesy. and doesn't apply. It's my world. I want I want you to hear this passage with different ears today and hear exactly what the Apostle Paul in the middle of the first century was trying to communicate to embattled believers who not only faced resistance ideologically, they faced arrest and death, real persecution. And this is how he encouraged them. So this is in the book of Ephesians. If you want to get a Bible and turn with me and, uh, in the Bible to the book of Ephesians, uh, obviously, uh, for those who are, you know, too lazy to grab a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. <laughs> I'm joking. But I do like it when I hear the 70s 
sound of turning pages, okay? Or, or you can even pull up a Bible app. I recommend Bible Gateway. Um, to, to, it's really easy to navigate on an iPhone, at least. However you look at it, look at Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I'm going to start in verse 10. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote two millennia ago. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. I want you to notice how many times he says stand. Okay? I think that's the second time already, but here he says stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand, here's the third one, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all God's people. What he's saying at the end there is by prayer, we intercede for and with each other. And whenever you're really embattled, when you're embroiled in some fight, Spiritually, you're not alone in it. You're not the only one. There's others who've fought it and won. There's people that have fought it and lost, but they got back up again by the grace of Jesus. So listen, you're not alone in the fight. And in prayer, by praying for one another, we, we acknowledge this. So when you fall down, others pray for you. When others fall down, you stand and pray. It's a beautiful image. But let's look more closely at this, at this awesome uh, sort of illustration from the Apostle Paul, which nothing like this had, you know, been, uh, had a precedent in Scripture. So this is Paul just saying, look, this is how I see it working, okay? I don't think he's being cute or kitschy. I think he's being very careful with his choice of words. This isn't just some poem with beautiful language and sort of teachable stuff for VBS. This is Paul saying, look, God in his infinite wisdom has not only sent us into the battle, he has equipped us for the fight in every way. So the question on our minds should be, how do we fight this foe who comes against us? And what we're going to see in this illustration is that he offers us, through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, Paul offers us an alternative to what might be our first instinct, because everyone here, especially in Texas, has this first instinct to fight fire with fire. We don't take nothing from nobody. Almost said a bad word at church. We don't take nothing from nobody. We don't take nothing lying down. We're Texans. We're tough. We're gritty. And so we fight fire with fire. You take from us, we'll take from you. You punch us, we'll punch you. But look at what he's saying. When the enemy attacks, when the enemy comes after you, 
What do you do? Pray, stand, and wear the full armor of God. And he starts, interestingly, with the belt of truth. Why? Because our enemy is a liar and the father of lies. The number one symptom of a satanically influenced family or culture or workplace or mind is deception. Deception and confusion. He will muddy every water, every chance that he gets. He will raise doubts in your mind about yourself and God and, and even himself. He doesn't want you to believe in him. He doesn't want you to believe in anything except you. And so, of course, he's going to lie to you. The question is, in a world that is drowning in deception, what is our strategy to overcome? Is it just to learn how to lie better? Do we fight lies with lies and fire with fire? Of course not. We put on the belt of truth, which is a lot easier than it sounds. Putting on the belt of truth, I think, feels a little bit like putting on a belt from high school after Thanksgiving dinner today. It's like a little tight sometimes, a little snug, because I've been, I've, been, I've been devouring the lies, you know? I'm fattening myself on the lies of the devil, so the belt of truth can hurt a little, but man, as uncomfortable as it is to be a person of the truth in a world full of lies, as much of a target as it might put on your back, let's say, as... as much as you might be despised for being someone who, when you speak, you only speak the truth. You don't always have to say all the truth all the time, but when you do speak, you only speak the truth. And that means you know the truth. That means you've been abiding in the truth. You've spent time with the truth so that when the moment of truth comes, you're ready to stand and speak truth and live truth know the truth, okay? So, so in a world of lies, we wear the belt of truth. Well, okay, but what about when the enemy aims for our hearts? When he doesn't just want to confuse us about what's right and wrong, but he comes after our hearts and our desires. What about when he tempts us with something of the flesh or he lures us or baits us with some passion that doesn't align with the kingdom of God, some appetite or some ambition that he wants us to fall prey to, what do we do then? Do we just chase it anyway and show him that we can be faithful even as we take the bait? It's like, I'll change that system of evil from within. I'll just go and I'll be a light in the darkness. But how long can you last if you're giving in in that way? Do we fight that fire with fire? No. He says, wear the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is an important word in the Bible. Righteousness is a word that simply means uh, to walk with God in purity, blameless. That doesn't mean you are without sin. It means that because of Christ, he has seen you pure and blameless. And so you walk in that. And by walking with the breastplate of righteousness firmly in its place, guarding your heart, you reject the ways of this world and the temptations of the flesh. You reject the patterns of sin that once held you slave. You protect the righteous and pure heart that God has renewed in you. 
When you say daily, Lord, I'm yours, and nothing less than you is enough for me. What about when the enemy then comes for our minds, as he often does? Do you know that he will try and attack your thoughts before he even tries to change your behavior? Why? Because behavior follows thoughts, eventually. You might have thought, well, it's, it's okay to think certain things as long as I don't act on those things, maybe for a time. But your thoughts eventually play out in your actions. That's why in one of my favorite verses from Romans 12, verse 2, Paul wrote to another congregation, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Your thoughts matter. And so what do we wear on our heads to protect our minds? The helmet of salvation. Your mind is worth more than whatever the enemy wants to put in it. He wants to put thoughts of, of false hope, thoughts of lust, thoughts of, of anger uh, in your minds, ungodly thoughts to get you off track. And the helmet of salvation is your counter uh, to that. What about when the enemy tries to draw us in, change our minds by way of distraction? Like when you're following Jesus and you're going to church, but there's just something missing, you know? Like when people who call themselves Christians continue to sort of dabble in uh, some spiritual plus one where you're like, oh, I believe you, Jesus. I'm grateful for my salvation, but just in case, just in case, I'm going to check out my horoscope. You see that happens? <laughs> that freaks me out. Y'all are laughing, but man... Every time we get serious about something Satan loves, man, he wants you distracted by the plus ones. He wants you to dabble. Young people, hear me, because all y'all are dabbling, because you've been told that's okay. You can cross those lines and be okay with it. You can play with things that are not just toys. They're openings. Do not dabble in things you don't understand. <laughs> Astrology, horoscopes, and, and, and I know it's a game, but it's not. Ouija boards, I've just seen the results of these tarot cards. Crystals are big right now. And some of you are like, who is this guy, and why is he so obsessed with these things that I don't see on a daily basis? That just means you haven't been to a Barnes & Noble bookstore in a while. If you had, you would see what I've seen, which is the things I just mentioned, all in the most prominent places of every bookstore across America. Why? Because it's what the people want. I love you, God, but I'm going to hedge my bet with this. Listen, Christ is everything or he's nothing. As we say sometimes in our men's discipleship group, Christ plus anything equals nothing. Christ plus nothing equals everything. 
And so we trust him or we don't. The helmet of our salvation protects our minds from the attacks of the enemy. Finally, what about when the enemy tries to draw us into battles that aren't worth fighting? They're not your fight. Political spats or family drama or, you know, anybody that you're angry at. I almost got into it remotely with an umpire in the Astros game yesterday. Just absolutely <laughs> upset with this ball call. I'm just going to take my piece away. All right? What do you do when, because more than half of the time, it's a weird number to throw out there, the majority, the great majority of the time, the fights the enemy lures you into are not worth fighting. Paul said that's when you strap on your running shoes, fit perfectly for your feet to run to the Father and find peace. So we don't fight the devil's fire with more fire. Everybody knows the best way to put out a fire is with water. And so that's what we fight with, the water of our baptism, the grace of God that provided us with our faith, with our salvation, with our righteousness, and girds up our loins with truth and our feet with peace. Now, all of these other parts of spiritual armor were meant for our protection and our self-defense, but we also need a weapon, right, to fight our battles. And Paul makes it very clear. He's like, look, the only weapon that you need in this fight, this fight for your life, the most important fight you'll ever fight is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And so before I wrap, I just got to ask you, do you, do you have a Bible I know I joked about it earlier, but I'm, I'm kind of serious, too. And it reminds me of this Michael Scott joke from The Office when some girl asked him if he's, if he's ever read this book by Lee Iacocca. And Michael Scott said, read it. I own it. But no, I haven't read it. And in, <laughs> in some ways, how many Bibles do we have that never get read? And when you read it, what do you do? Do you just read it to say you did? Or do you treat it like the most important thing you'll do that day? Because I know when you go to a meeting with your boss or with a colleague or with an investor, you're going to take a notepad and some notes, maybe an iPad even, something to show this is important. And so many times we go to the Bible just with our momentary attention span, and we read it and we close it and move on. Take a pen with you. Take a highlighter with you. Take a notebook with you. Take something with you to remind yourself and to show God and your family and everyone else that this matters because this is the only weapon the Lord puts in our hands, and it is a weapon like no, none other. This weapon brings life and not death. So what I want to say to those of you who are Christians, and maybe you've been a little disturbed or put out by this uh, series, I want to reiterate something that's important, and that is that this enemy we've been talking about for four weeks cannot steal your salvation. He can't take your salvation from you. But if you don't know who you're up against, he can steal your joy and your peace. He can interrupt your intimacy with your Father in heaven. He can, he can disrupt and distract you to the extent that you miss opportunities to share the gospel with people that the Lord puts in front of you. He can't steal those, that salvation from you, but he can steal other things if you let him. And sometimes... <clears throat> If we're honest, we let him. And if you're not a Christian, I have to just, as it's my duty to warn you, that he can do far worse than that. So what are we to do? It's not complicated. 
It's not religious. It's, Father uh, Lampert kind of said it. It's just like, abide in Christ. Just choose to trust your, your maker. Desire him and dwell with him and abide in his word and, and put on the armor that he gives you. And, and even when this enemy advances all around you, you will live victoriously and abundantly and eternally. And I pray, if you're not a Christian yet, you make that choice today. Don't let another day go by. What are you waiting for? I know Christians are jerks. I know not every prayer gets answered. I know church is boring. And a chore. it's all of that absolutely right. But you are loved by the one who made you in his image. Nothing can change that. And I pray that you will accept his invitation home today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder today. I pray that um, these words inspired um, by your spirit have been received in the fertile soil of soft hearts and that we um, are courageous enough to subject ourselves to your spirit, even if it means we have to change and trust and abide with you. Lord, um, change what needs to be changed. Renew what needs to be renewed. Restore what needs to be restored. We accept your invitation home. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.